The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. of the business podcast i am your co-host jp john paz from the two-man power trip of wrestling and of course the man of the hour the man who joins me each and every week here on the show mr trump mania himself lobby marlin lobby how you doing today sir hi john i'm doing great i'm i'm not snowed in um got out for uh the snow day as we're recording this the uh snow was a little bit too uh fluffy to uh sled down the hill but hopefully have better luck tomorrow wow you didn't get too much uh, i got about 10 inches and maybe a little bit more uh, over here in jersey so you got some good exercise i bet Yes. You know, it's funny, like, I was saying this to my wife, too, like, when you're shoveling, you kind of don't realize all the muscles using, like, your back starts hurting, then your shoulders start hurting. You, you get pretty exhausted, especially when you got about 10 inches to shovel. I don't know, maybe I'm just in horrible shape, but uh, that was what I was thinking. I was like, man, it's a little bit uh, exhausting shoveling here. I found, like, as a kid, I could keep doing it if I didn't stop, but once I stopped, then I couldn't move, because you realized how much you did. <laughs> that is true. Once I stop, I'm like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. As far as today and what's going on in the business of the business, I think the first thing we need to do is talk about the questions because we had such a power-packed episode last week. And this being episode 10, I think we should start off immediately with some questions. So, Lobby, what do we got as far as some questions from some of the listeners that we didn't get a chance to get to last week? Sure. So um, we had a, a first a, a number of questions related to um, MLW situation. So uh, it's the following. I see where MLW just signed some key talents to longer term contracts with significant pay increases due to the zone revenue. My question is, why is the zone paying MLW what it is apparently decent money for content when I can watch it on YouTube for free? The same thing with BN. I watched it on YouTube before it airs in BN, right? So it's a, a good question as it relates to um, to content these days, right? There is some content being distributed behind a paywall, but whereas you can access it on YouTube for free, so you don't need to pay for a premium channel or to uh, subscribe to the zone to get access to MLW. Do you get um, BN on your cable system? I do not know, unfortunately. For me, it's um, it's in a upper tier sports package, um, often with um, some uh, uh, either niche sports or um, sports from around the world. So, if you're a big um, football fan um, from Europe, um, that might be in your package. 
um, but um, but it's not on the uh, regular tier. Um, and the zone, of course, is um, you definitely have to subscribe. I don't know if there's a a cost per month um, for everything or um, or something like that would be um, would be accessible. Like if you have a sign in password, but it's definitely behind uh, a paywall. So, right, it's a good question. Like why? Why pay for something like that? Well, I think there's a couple of different things. One is that when MLW was on BN Sports, it was actually a really smart move to start distributing the show on YouTube because it created more of a buzz for the show. I think if it was on a channel that a lot of people didn't subscribe to or hadn't found their way to on the um, dial then um you know people wouldn't have noticed it but by being on youtube it actually helped to build buzz and i wouldn't be surprised if some people then found their way to be in but for the zone my suspicion is that there was a plan to do uh, more premium shows or specifically targeted programming but because of the coronavirus you don't really threw things off I'm always curious that too. It's like, does YouTube help or hurt the TV side? Because if you could watch it on YouTube, do you even want to watch it on TV? Do you feel like it's not appointment television? Like, oh, I'll just catch it on YouTube. Like, is there something? I know it's probably hard to say, and I guess each promotion is differently, uh, work differently. But do you think that some fans watch YouTube and are doing kind of what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'll catch it on YouTube, or I don't really need to watch the TV. You think that hurts ratings at all? Yeah, I think it's a, a trade-off. There's some people that are TV-centric and want to consume it in that way. Being 40, I'm, I'm still sort of like that. I'd rather, I'd be much more likely to find, like, a show I'm half interested in on television rather than, like, have to stream it on my phone or even through the Fire Stick because it, it is bumpy. Like, like I mentioned, I don't know, maybe just my service isn't great. And then there's other people that... Um, especially younger people um, that sort of like consume everything that they're streaming, especially YouTube is so easy to access that there's no barriers, you know, as long as you have uh, a decent internet connection or it doesn't even need to be that great. With zone though, it's like they don't really have anything different than you can get anywhere else. But the whole thing is like, it's a subscription service. You're paying for something different and even like more events or, you know, pay-per-view level stuff, you know, like Canelo Alvarez, when he was on there or when Bellator, they would put the big fights on there. So how come MLW and zone to have like no synergy as far as putting on big events or big shows on there? Yeah, I think it's, it's a logistical issue right now with, um, with coronavirus. My suspicion is that, Let's say, I'm not sure how long the deal is for, but towards the end of 2021, hopefully that's viable, or into 2022, they'll start seeing more events. I'm wondering if they had the conversation with the zone. And by the way, I'm always proud of myself for saying the zone because I'm always want to pull to say dozen. <laughs> um, but I think maybe they weren't that interested in doing, you know, um, empty uh, venue shows. But I think MLW has done a really good job, you know, with those. What do you think of, you know, I know YouTube, it's like, okay, you're going to maybe catch some of the audience that isn't catching other places. Do you think that that affects any bargaining at all? Or or maybe they get less money from BN or less money from DAZN if, if people are going to be watching it on YouTube? Or does that never come into play and that's not even a question? 
No, it, it's interesting. I think these deals must have been structured like in very unique ways that are advantageous to MLW because um, Cord had been sort of like moving away from YouTube. Um, and then even after the, the Zone deal was signed, they sort of started focusing more on YouTube as well, realizing that people wanted to access the content there. So there was nothing that specifically seemed to block them from from appearing on, on both both programs, which right, it doesn't seem to bring as much value to the zone as um, if it was exclusive. I mean, one of the things that might work on the back end is that the zone sort of wants it to be sticky in terms of that once you're on their platform, you kind of hang around. So something like a, a pro wrestling promotion that's marketed as like hybrid quasi sports, like if you just watched a boxing match or kickboxing or, um, you know, something like that, and you're kind of like, oh, what's this MLW? If you stick around there, then there's value in that. And, you know, just if you're engaging in, in the product regularly, you're more likely to keep your um, monthly subscription. Are any of the financial arrangements available out there? I know that was part of a question here too, but is any of that available as far as MLW or is it all private? Uh, it's all private. You know, there's um, there was an article uh, a couple of years ago about um, uh, private investors in into MLW. So, you know, it doesn't seem like Cord is, you know, he's very entrepreneurial with it, but it's not like he's shouldering that burden alone. At least we know of these... Um, uh financial um investors uh there and um we know sort of like from the front end that um pw insider had had recently written about that um they're signing people re-upping deals and seem like for some more money that was sort of as a direct result of the 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 zone deal at least as was speculated or written about in uh, pw insider as far as MLW selling ads and things like that, what do we know about, like, as far as as that? Like, is it available certain ads or certain homes? Is it, like, syndication style? Like, how does MLW do their uh, advertising? It's a good question. I think usually you're – well, I mean, with BN, it had been reported that they're getting um, a rights fee there. So it's not a, um, a barter in, in that sense. Um, but they might be – I, I haven't seen it on BN, so it might be sort of when they have it on YouTube and they're still, still pacing it the same way, they might be able to insert their own ads there. So if there was a, um, a BN 90 seconds of ads and um, YouTube isn't going to run, you know, they have the control of that. YouTube inserts their own ads whenever, but MLW has control of that time in terms of uploading the video. That's when they might fill it as something like, Stephen P. New, I'm like channeling Jim Cornette right now. Um, Jim, please hate talk about us. It would be great um, <laughs> for our attention. Um, actually, I love Brian Last. He's awesome. Um, but um, 605 podcast. But uh, when I see Stephen New, that reminds me. But, um, uh, you know, I think they sort of when you're moving from one platform to another and you're spacing out time for for ads, um, you can fill it with, with other things like that. I, I'd imagine like that it doesn't get too complicated. Like Stephen knew you, you probably have like a, a flat rate where it's not going to fluctuate much, um, based on like how many views one month versus another. It's more like, 
he wants a platform that has some visibility in pro wrestling because he enjoys it or that helps to bring him clients, whatever it is, probably a combination of the two, so that, you know, you can work out a deal together rather than, like, um, running ads in X amount of markets and then they have to report back on the Nielsen ratings. I don't think it's as complicated as that in this situation. As far as U2 America, the question is, how much can U2 America be paying for OVW? Right. So without knowing, my speculation is nothing um, in that um, it's more of a barter. I don't think OVW is paying for the airtime. It's not paid programming. I would say it's a barter that, um, uh, you know, everyone sort of wins that U2 America gets programming for free that actually has stickiness to it. You know, how many programs that people talk about on, on YTA um, and uh, OVW gets the exposure, but also usually they give you some ad time that you can sell yourself or usually a lot of promotions just sort of like run ads to go to their website or selling merchandise or go to their YouTube page. So to direct the viewer somewhere else that could be beneficial to them. What about, let's see here the question here. I don't think the owner, Matt Jones, mentioned YTA one time in your interview, but it's supposed to have 25 million homes. Did he mention it? I don't know if he did either. And is that true? Does it really reach 25 million homes? Right. I might have mentioned it, but right. He kind of, my inference was that he's sort of aware of the platforms that it's on and he's kind of realistic in knowing that um, they're not watched much. So he wants to build the exposure, which, which is reasonable. Um, so. The Screen uh, Actors Guild sort of had a breakdown that we talked about several episodes ago of like the exposure for various um, networks. And um, when they listed YTA, they listed 6 million. So, or about 6 million. So my theory or guess on it would be that there is the actual sort of realistic number and there's the potential number. So most of YTA, not all of it, because they are on cable. Some some of their affiliates are on cable systems, like I mentioned in New York, WVVH. Um, they're on, um, uh, you know, one of the cable stations that, that has pretty wide exposure. So, but a lot of the YTA stations are on over-the-air um, digital signals. So, for example, we talked about who has, um, you know, rabbit ears or is it built into your TV? Um, how do these stations exist, right? So like right now in New Jersey for you, you know, there might be one of these networks, right? But like are 100% of the people, do they have access to it? So I think the 25 million is like imagining 100% of the people have the antenna and utilize it or have rabbit ears and utilize it whereas six million is a more realistic figure so like 22 percent right somewhere between 20 and 25 percent might actually access um the station so like who has these antennas versus like it being out in the airwaves somehow Another question. Any chance you can go over Impact Wrestling signings, top free agents, and whether that was a smart business move despite Impact ratings being so poor? 
Were they even worth the investment? This isn't a knock, but Impact is drawing 100,000-plus viewers, and they're spending on all these top guys. It's a good point, really. I mean, it's a good question. It's a good point. I mean, Anderson and Gallows, I know for a very fact, and I think everyone knows, they're not cheap. Um, bringing in guys like Omega and Eric Young, I mean, this is not going to be cheap. So what do you think? Or can you break down these free agent top signings, and is it worth it financially? So... I can sort of speak about it more broadly as I, you know, I get the news, but you know, I don't watch the show, but I think like, and I think John, you've watched it from the very beginning too, from yep. 2002, like this is the story. This is the journey of TNA and, and impact. Like it's always been that way. Um, you know, bringing in the names and are they worthwhile and do they grow the audience and how do they help with branding? I think when it's done sort of, smartly and the right people like Gallows and Anderson are like perfect for what they want to do. They're buzzworthy. They're, you know, they come through the screen. They have been around, but they don't seem tired and they haven't been, um, you know, used in such a way that it's hard to like recover them. Um, whereas like, you know, and, and I don't need to knock any talent, but like if it was a WWE guy that was on the underneath, and they were there for seven, eight, nine years. It's very hard to change the perception of, of who they are. And when you come in and when you bring them in and you promote them as being like the new star, it just it just further reinforces that this is like, you know, not not even the secondary brand anymore, but like further down. I don't think, you know, I don't think they would grow their ratings one way or another. I think it's kind of solid sort of where they are. They they pop a bit when you have something sort of like way outside the bell curve, like a Kenny Omega appearance, sort of like drafting off AEW or, or a surprise like that. But I think they're they're pretty solid, sort of they are who they are now, which is which is fine. They're in a you know, um a nice media empire and they're sort of the the key piece to the main um, show on, on Axis, the biggest piece to that media empire. Um, and, um, you know, they'll keep along. I mean, they're, as a company, they seem, especially post, um, you know, especially as part of Anthem, they seem to be fiscally conservative for the most part. I don't think they're sort of blowing out their budget. Um, when a star leaves, even though they're, they have a name, um, you know, if they're not being recruited by WWE or AEW or like New Japan, I don't know, you know, how expensive they would be. So, it, you know, it's probably reasonable, um, you know, in that sense. What do you think like, is like a way for Impact to be making money right now? Because is it strictly TV money? Because it just seems like how could they possibly... We may be doing well and making money unless they're making money off those pay-per-views. Right. So I think it's like, and we talked about sort of like Anthem, we could sort of like imagine it like as sort of like a passion project, but it does go beyond that because like you mentioned, they're owned by an investment company, the larger umbrella. So, you know, I think it's to, to sort of grow grow the brands um, like that type of company tends to sell, right? They invest to sell. It, it doesn't seem like anything's being fast tracked in that way now, but like, how do they make money now? I think sort of like within the Anthem universe, you know, if you keep the programming in line 
and it does the best ratings on access and it brings attention to access. That's the value of it. They also tend to do well internationally, although, and we can talk about it a little bit later. Now with free sport, they in, in the UK and Ireland, um, you know, impact years ago, and we can't lean back too much on impact from years ago, but even most recently, right? There was Fight Network UK, um, Will Cooling and I had an exchange on Twitter, which was really helpful as I learned about more of the UK scene. He said that Fight Network in the UK was like more of pay, paid programming on an over-the-air network. Um, and then that was gone. And then they, you know, there wasn't too much of a gap before they moved to Free Sport, um, which had MLW in the past. And, um, you know, they weren't there for very long, but um, somebody uh, that I follow on Twitter, um, I think from the UK tweets the, the UK ratings and they were like between eight and 13,000 the last seven or eight weeks were the ratings per week. So, you know, even in a smaller market, um, you'll see like, um, you know, WWE ratings, which aren't that high right now is like 50 or 60,000 a week. So you know, it, it was a pretty small slice when you say like 8,000 people are, are watching your weekly programming and it's hard to, to stay on the air in that way. Now let's go to the news of the week. Blue Demon Jr. is on Disney. Young Rock is on NBC. Is pro wrestling becoming mainstream at last? Yes, yeah, so I think it's really interesting that all of these things are hitting at once and, you know, um, you know, not as high profile, but you have Heels is coming on Stars Network with uh, Stephen Amell and uh, there's just news of CM Punk's going to mm -hmm. at least be on the show. I don't know how big of an actor, but something like an NBC primetime show or my kids love Disney, like having this be uh, a sitcom that's heavily I'd assume heavily promoted in the Disney world. Like it just seems like pro wrestling as sort of a, um, at least a plot point or sort of something relevant to people. You know, it, it seems very mainstream. I feel like Lucha Libre has been like, not in a way that you could promote, but like everyone sort of knows what it is. Like for example, like my sister-in-law, you know, pre COVID of course, like she took a tour of Mexico. So one day she was posted on Facebook that she was making masks <laughs> at like some sort of thing, like before the show, like there was like a little mask making workshop. And then she had pictures of herself like at CMLL. And I was like, Hey, you know, you don't even like wrestling, mm, <laughs> That's yeah. not fair. but like, you know, like sort of like everyone knows that, you know, whether it's from, um, uh, Nacho, you know, Nacho Libre or like, you know, one of those things, like, Lucha Libre and, and wrestling masks are very well known, but like mainstream pro wrestling, everyone like sort of knows Hulk Hogan. But like it was kind of like an embarrassing thing to stay away from, from the mainstream now here. Like they're using it as like the main plot point. So I don't know if that means anything for like pro wrestling in terms of pro wrestling companies, but it feels mainstream now, like just like in terms of like a setting, like, um, you know, instead of the parent being a teacher, they're a pro wrestler. So it'll be interesting to see, like, when once you break the doors open for these things, and if they're successful, you start seeing more people doing it. It's weird, like, to think, like, wow, like, 
you know, the rock or young rock, it's going to be Rocky Johnson and, uh, Andre the giant and iron Sheik and macho man, like all these kind of, you know, guys that we grew up on, but they're like now getting even more attention, but in their quote unquote prime as the rock is reliving his childhood. I don't know. Just that to me is, is, is like just such a cool thing. It's like, wow, who would ever thought that would be a TV show? And then it's like, wow, it's on NBC of all things. Like, Holy crap. Like, Wow, it's uh, pretty damn cool. And then obviously Blue Demon on Disney is really cool as well. So cool to see pro wrestling back in the mainstream. Yeah, and the way I like to think about it, former NWA champion on the Disney Channel. Yeah, yeah, really. That's a good point. True. Now, as far as kind of streaming and streaming players and sports rights and all that kind of stuff, is Amazon going to become a serious player in this? Because... I watched a football game this year and I had to stream it through Amazon and it seems like they're really going hard after the NFL rights. So what's going on with the latest as far as Amazon becoming a serious streaming player? No, I think it's really interesting. It's something that they've um, flirted with a bit, Um, uh, you know, and this is more for the Trump mania podcast, but wherever you stand, like if you're following the politics over the last few years, like, um, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins were sort of like the liberal Republicans. And when there was um, a decision people would hope would go in the Democrats' way in the Senate, you know, they would always be counting on these people. And they'd, they would talk a lot. And then in the end, they'd be like, okay, we'll just go with the Republicans. So, like, that's what I feel like Amazon has been. Like, they do a lot of flirting with sports streaming and certainly paying for some NFL games is, is a big deal. But I don't know how serious they are. But it's interesting to see because who should be described in the New York Post as the Scott Boris of uh, media, but the WWE's own Nick Khan, you know, the most popular person uh, not most popular, but the most powerful, second most powerful person in the in the company. And hopefully, he's popular too. But um, he feels like um, Amazon will become a very serious uh, player for um, more rights, like the NFL. So he certainly has his uh, has ear to the ground. And if he feels like they're going to go hard for the NFL, you know, I'm not one to doubt it. I just don't think that. Um, generally, Amazon has been that serious about streaming rights to date. It's always been that dream, like to have Fang, like you know, Apple and Amazon and so and so on, like go hard for um, rights. But like another piece of evidence, sort of like that they're not that serious, would be you know from a smaller scale, like um, uh, you know the Serie A league in Italy. Um, their rights were were up, and um, you know they ended up going for less than they were uh, expecting. And the hope of that league was that Amazon would bid. Like they were sort of discussing that um, earlier on, uh, but uh, but that didn't happen. So I think that's sort of like always the hope to at least uh, increase the price. But I think they sort of kicked the tires a lot. But Amazon as a company. Um, you know, they're always into continuous growth and so on, but I don't think they're, you know, sports streaming generals, like it's always increasing. It's always expensive. And Amazon is sort of like more about leverage. Like I know someone who started a company that sort of like utilized Amazon tools and like he had a a meeting with Amazon. He's like, this is going to be it. You know, here's my big payday. And like, they gave a very low ball offer. And it was kind of like the idea of like, 
if you don't go with us, then, uh, you know, maybe we'll just do what you're doing because you're using our tools anyway. So I think that's generally how I think Amazon works. But hey, you know, Nikon is saying it. So, you know, I'll be very curious to follow as it as the story unfolds. As far as international television, TNT Africa has now added AEW. Is this good, bad, important, not important? Like, is this a, a big coup or not really? No, it's, it's interesting because, like, I think when we think about, like, WWE versus AEW from, like, uh, an American perspective, it's, you know, in terms of our highest profile shows, like, uh, in terms of networks, it's, like, neck and neck. But, and, you know... AEW has a good um, time slot in uh, in the UK, but like across the world, they, you know, they haven't rolled out much. They'd be like, okay, you could go to, you know, I forgot, I guess Fight TV or, or Dawson, you know, DAZN. Uh, now I'm saying Dawson, DAZN, yes. whatever, whatever their you, partner you is. You yourself out. Yep. Yeah, I did. Um, so like wherever it is, but, you know, that's not really much. So I don't know if like, if TNT Africa is the TNT of Africa, right? Like if it holds the same prestige or power, like when you, um, I remember like hearing about rights, like for ESPN in some countries and they'd be like, no ESPN, yeah, it's the logo, but it's not really like the strength of ESPN or like there's like international Spike TVs and it wasn't the same thing even when Spike TV was at its peak. But it's interesting to see that they're on this general purpose channel on, on a new continent. Um, it it wasn't promoted much that, that I've seen. I haven't seen like TNT's official website and um, Twitter announced or anything like that. When I, um, when I found it through one of my Google keyword searches, sort of like at the bottom of the search, um, TNT Africa liked it. So they're like kind of vanity searching their own uh, name <laughs> or seeing who's tagging them. So I don't imagine it's it's that big, but it's interesting to see how the global footprint uh, begins to grow. What about, we kind of touched on it before, Impact loses Freesport. Um, I guess maybe UK and Ireland, I guess that that's where that's big. Yeah, I mean, it is like historically because it was such a big market for them. And now like, you, you know, you were on whatever stations years ago, and then you had over-the-air exposure through Fight Network that you might have been paying for, and then you got on Free Sport, which seems to have some good exposure for the market, and now they're like, okay, go go to YouTube or Impact Plus. So, like, you know, that's a, that's a lost thing. kind of reminds me of um, when uh, ECW lost TV in New York, and they'd have uh, a show in Queens. They would be passing out the DVDs. Uh, so fans didn't lose interest. It's sort of like, yes, like we talked about with YouTube, it's easily accessible, but like not being on a network that apparently people watched, although not too many of them, which was part of the problem, like that's definitely, um, you know, a loss. To me, like you're losing TV deals. Does that mean you're going to be getting other TV deals or are you just going to be kind of out of the country and they're going to, basically lose you not forever but you know they're going to lose you for maybe temporarily and you might not be on that country and then you're really going to lose the fan base yeah it's a good question like i have that austin powers thing in my mind i'm not going to sing it um but like you know with the like bbc one bbc oh yeah (laughs) so maybe there's a bbc (laughs) maybe there's a bbc um but yeah i mean like it's hard to 
you know, it's hard to keep getting chances. So it might be like to come back to it, you know, at another point. But Anthem's pretty resilient in that way. They sort of find ways to get on TV. Like, look at their Fight Network, you know, exposure. There's like, um, you know, Fight Network in, in MENA. And there's, um, obviously, they have Canada and the U.S., but they have, you know, different uh, Eastern European, you know, blocks and, and so on. So they're resilient as a company. It's interesting. Um, hopefully we'll get to talk about that uh, more in depth soon, um, that aspect, but um, a hint of things to come. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if they get back on eventually, but it's it's not a great sign that, you know, it, basically your your network sort of falls apart and then you're off for a little bit, you make your way back to TV, but just for a few months, it just might not be there for them uh, you know, anytime soon. So the NHL and the NBA have done this, but will pro wrestling kind of follow suit where pro wrestling sponsorship will actually be the signage on their ring gear. You know what I mean? Like the, the actual promotional say Coke could be Coca-Cola, Chevy, whoever they'll actually be promoted on the ring gear and, and different things like that. Maybe shirts and, and other things of that nature. The NBA does it with their uniforms and the NHL is starting to do it with the uniforms and, and helmets is wrestling going to follow suit. You know, it's an, it's an interesting question and it's um, sort of a good, good way to, uh, to gain revenue. I know that, um, uh, you know, I'd seen catalyst wrestling, which um, we talked about there television exposure and um you know i've i've uh, given them some advice and uh, suggestions with their uh television in the past so i don't you want know, to make it sound that i'm like completely outside of things but i help where i can um but i saw that they were looking for um uh you know um sponsors you know in, in that way uh, to sponsor a, a wrestler and i think that's a unique way to do it i think like if you're doing it in a way that isn't completely distracting and you could even like integrate it in with the brand, that could be a cool way of doing it. Like if it's a wrestler that, um, you know, wears a, um, a sideways baseball cap or something. Um, and you know, if it's clear, like from the team or the manufacturer, sort of like that this comes from lids or, you know, it's this minor league team that's sponsoring you or if they wear, um, shades to the ring and like you talk about sort of you know who the manufacturer you know uh the brand is um you know you, you have some interesting possibilities but or or it could be like somebody that's sort of like doing it that's so over the top that they you know they're wearing uh 20 different logos and that's part of like the entertainment of it but like sort of like integrated in with a way that it's not obnoxious like i'm sort of surprised that you don't see more of you know the branded ring and the ring posts and the skirts. Like I loved on like um, uh, USWA or Global, would it be like, it would say like Renegade Rampage or whatever it is. Like that seems like perfect branding, like center ring. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you see that kind of a little bit GCW as far as like the ring and the canvas and stuff doing their advertising. I'm surprised you don't see that more you know like obviously ufc does it big time and it's all over the place all the branding surprise wrestling hasn't done that more i know like i guess it's not traditional but you got to break tradition and you're going to need to start making some more money yeah i think it's sort of like an industry leader thing from what i understood like vince mcmahon didn't like that idea like he didn't think it looked great 
and you know I can understand from a certain perspective, but I don't know why you know so many others have have followed suit. Like it seems like if if you have you know some good uh, draw, like in terms of live event when those are possible, but certainly with like television or streaming, like it's a good way to partner up or even like add value. Let's say you have somebody like be your key sponsor, so you have both television ads and um, uh, insertion ads, but then also, you know, um, brands, the ring, um, and, uh, you know, be able to utilize things in that way. Yeah, it's one of those things, it's like, hmm, that could be a nice little revenue stream or just a way to possibly make some extra money. Um, but obviously, you don't want it to look tacky or just look terrible on, on television either. Do you remember the um, the early days of, of Zufa when like the fighters were allowed in the UFC to sort of like get their own sponsorship and like yeah everyone had like Condé Depot or like they'd um, they'd have the temporary tattoo yes like yep. said Golden Palace or whatever it may be yeah that's uh, that's one of those things where it's like okay I can see it being a little I guess maybe a little cheesy or corny or something but. Hey, if you can make some money out of it, who cares? Just as long as it doesn't look too, you know, egregious or too bad on television. Yeah, you don't want it to like distract so much, but um, often like the difference between profitability and loss is, is very thin. So if you can, um, you know, maximize your revenue in that way, then it's something to look into. Yeah, I like the way GCW has been doing as far as marketing and you know making some extra money uh, you know whether it be conrad thompson or whoever save with conrad whoever is advertising you know they're paying for that spot on that ring yeah no i mean um i haven't watched much gcw but sort of you know the the things that they do certainly stand out um they had the recent um fight forever um fundraiser on, on youtube and just they they just seem to be on the uh on the cutting edge of things. What's going on in China, the Chinese pro wrestling market? I know the Middle Kingdom wrestling's out there. What's kind of the latest on them and what's going on in China? So, you know, WWE has always like, it seemed like had a bit of a struggle to sort of um, break through into there. There was sort of a couple events, but they weren't exactly like, public it was more like for publicity from what i understand but andrew levine the vp of international platform strategy at wwe um uh, shared on linkedin just a few days ago that wwe zoo kianyan is now on billy billy which is the most popular video sharing and live streaming platform for a certain target market, although I'm not going to pretend to understand that, for post-95s in China. Actually, maybe it means like for people born after 1995. I'm sort of deciphering it now, but but right, that would that would make sense. So that's pretty cool. Like um, to if uh, video streaming, um, you know, is a big deal there, sort of like YouTube or whatever it may be. WWE breaking onto there, you know, certainly helps with their um, discoverability. And, you know, sort of the, the challenge has always been from for outside companies or organizations to sort of like tour China or have events. Um, uh, so I remember um, Evolve or, you know, some variation of that had a tour that, that did really well. And um, there was an interesting article re recently um, 
on Better Outs um, AUDS with Adrian Gomez, the founder and president of uh, Middle Kingdom Wrestling, sort of like how um, how he broke through onto there. And um, actually, he was following me on Twitter for a while. I hope he still is, but um, maybe that's somebody we should get on the show and sort of learn more about that. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good uh, to me, uh, for sure. It's an interesting market the uh the chinese wrestling market it was never ever a big wrestling place you know never a big wrestling country the culture wasn't for it japan of course and the japanese i mean they were all about it they always had the best wrestlers they were always kind of ahead of the curve they were always doing things you know bigger and better over there they always had these great athletes and wrestlers and even the great gaijins would go over there you know the handstand hands the world the vaders they have the old butchers brody the funks i mean the list goes on and on uh, as far as Japan, but China has never really been a wrestling market like, at all, ever. Yeah, no, it, it's really interesting that those type of markets and, and those the potential there is always exciting to sort of like, there always seems to be a spark where like if you get enough attention and it catches on, it's like this like eye-opening experience to people, like you could run the best angles that have been run already or, or introduce you know, new wrestling moves that they're not familiar with at all. And then, you know, it sort of hits a wall after a while. Like, or even when you when you come back to the market, like I think in the mid-2000s, um, like Italy, like suddenly had this explosion of interest in pro wrestling, not only WWE with Rey Mysterio, but like Rikishi and his crew, um, they were able to, to run um, really successfully drawing shows. I think that was... Um, even had the ultimate warrior come back you know for for a match there just because you know the money was right it was so it was so popular so it's kind of fun to look at new markets that are seem seem underdeveloped like wwe has some exposure in russia and has done some touring there but you know that's somewhere else that it seems like there's you know more opportunity what about the it's not really like i guess a, a new market um, in India, but obviously, you know, they ditched the superstar spectacle and that was a big thing, but they're now they're saying performance centers and stuff. Is that true? Or is that kind of just floating out there saying that, Oh, there's so much interest. Maybe we'll build a performance center out there. You know, cause it sounds good. It sounds like, Oh wow. They're really kind of developing uh, the talent out there. And they're really interested in that, you know, in that country. And they're really interested in growing it. Is any of that true? Will there be a performance center in China or in India? You know, in India, that seems like, um, you know, something that they're very serious about and investing in that market, which is a smart idea. I think like, you know, for fans from India, like, I think they know sort of like what's what's the main show, like who the stars are. And, you know, if you're sort of like want to follow someone from your own country or sort of like cheer for them, which a lot of people naturally want to do, like if they're going for the main titles or on the main shows, that's one thing, but sort of like to, to be like the fourth brand, you know, or something lower profile, but developing talents, there, there's some interest there. There's some, some foothold that you can take. You have the WWE brand, you have local stars, so you, you can build on that, but it only goes, you know, so far you sort of have to bring in the main stars and, um, but it's a good idea, you know, you know, to look at these markets in terms of like, you can only tap things so much with the main shows. So if you could sort of like maximize your talent and your exposure by doing it, like 
geographically specific or country specific and you are on television there you get a good rights fee that's you know that's doable you know you have the challenges with a country like saudi arabia but obviously india is, is safer you know in that way um and um you know if it appeals then you know it appeals if they do a performance center you know obviously they'll, they'll need more employees but you have to get guys trainers that are willing to go over there and it's interesting this is funny because i don't even think it was out there anywhere but uh you know somebody you absolutely love and he was talking to the performance center guys down there barry horowitz and they were saying hey if we need a trainer for india we're, we're like we're looking at guys like barry and guys like that that are willing or would be willing to travel over there but they're obviously you know somebody of that ilk where they're a good trainer good wrestler you know, like they brought over robbie brooks titanic steve it's maybe norman smiley maybe guys you aren't saying like top of the food chain oh this guy was such a great job but they're looking for guys with experience that were really good hands and good wrestlers and good workers to be coaches and i just thought that was funny that they somebody at the performance and he didn't say who but barry horowitz a few years ago saying that they were talking to him and asking him if he's willing to move to this country that country so the performance center idea is floating floating about and definitely uh, triple h and, and other guys down there are interested Oh man, you you just made my night. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Barry for India, start the hashtag. Um, you know, I'll be outside Stanford with a little sign or something. But I think it's it, yeah, it's a great idea because you know, great Kali. You know, he is. It seems like he's sort of like a cultural figure in in India. But you know, when when you're that tall and you have you know those mobility issues, like. You know, there's only so much you can do. No one has the expectation that you'll be like sort of a, a mat tech tactician or technician, any of those things. But like, if you could cycle in people that you know have the knowledge and, and have the skills, like, yeah, you know, why not do it? And it doesn't mean that they have to live in India, you know, for the next several years. If if it you know would be hard for them or you know hard to adapt, you know, three months in somebody else and sort of cycle cycle back especially if there's available i think there's a lot of institutional knowledge that's being lost in wrestling like imagine somebody like uh you know tommy rich like you know how many years has he been around and the way he knows how to work and you know just in terms of territories i don't know if he's like a trainer type but just like in terms of being able to tap that knowledge while it's still available that is true yeah you gotta be able to absorb it and sponge these guys and get what they have, you know, unfortunately before they're gone, because if we lose somebody from like uh, time of race or somebody from that generation, all that knowledge goes with them. If they're not passing it along to the next generation who hopefully is absorbing it. Yeah. Especially like, it's great when you see like people like the modern wrestlers who've picked up those things, but otherwise, like, especially at WWE, I know that, you know, the guys are very talented and the women as well, but like, Sometimes it feels kind of generic, whereas when you watch an AEW and the town is sort of like allowed to do their thing, like it just stands out and it feels fresher. Little um, trivia, I guess. I always ask Dr. Tom, Dr. Tom Pritchard, about training guys. Do you train anybody differently? And he always says no. Train everybody the same, basics and fundamentals, do cardio. And then he always says, well, except for, drum roll please, the great Kali, the only guy he trained differently 
than anyone else. He even had another giant, Giant Silva, in there who was just as big as Kali, maybe a little bit smaller height-wise, although I'm not sure about that. They're probably right about around the same. But he said that Kali was the only one he trained differently just because he was so big. He knew like his limitations, and he knew he wasn't going to do certain stuff ever. Um you know, he knew he was getting be getting a little bit of a push, but he knew like, okay, he's not going to do this, not going to be taking crazy bumps. So he trained him differently. Just interesting. I just thought that was so interesting. The only guy he ever said that he would train differently and did was Greg Cully. No, and um, with uh, Giant Silva, I, I love Giant Silva. Like I remember reading about him like years before he debuted when they were trying to like build him up and they would send him to Mexico and like before signing I think he had like a couple matches in, in New Japan and they were always hoping like he'd catch on he didn't but then he had those um MMA fights in, in Japan which were so much fun like you know he was sort of like like uh El Gigante sort of like of of his time with sort of like a little bit of a, a lower profile but larger than life guy not exactly taking to the wrestling business but kind of fun to have around because you know you don't want everyone to sort of feel and, and look the same oh yeah i mean just an absolute monster just uh such a you know big big dude big big scary dude and actually now that i'm looking I just wanted to check real quick, just check the heights. He's technically listed as 7'2 and Kali 7'1, so he's actually bigger than Kali. Damn. Uh, I guess maybe he he uh, kind of shrunk, shrunk a little bit, or maybe he got um, almost a little bit of hunchback, I feel like, when he was in MMA. Uh, you know what I mean? Like the way he fought in pride and stuff, it just didn't seem like he was fighting so tall. I know minimal, minimal man was definitely you know going after his knees and his ankles and stuff, but it just felt like he was a little bit more hunched over in MMA. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think you know once you're that big, I, I don't know if every every person that's you know of that size in pro wrestling that has sort of like the um, the glandular secretion, right? The gigantism. Yeah. You know, it's, it's easy to say, like you know, as we know it from Andre the Giant, but it does seem like you know when you get that big, you have those issues, and sort of like as you get a little bit older, it just becomes very difficult just to move around. For sure. Now, kind of moving on to the next topic we want to talk about, that was AAA. They are promoting Krispy Kremes and healthy eating. What is going on with uh, AAA? They're promoting Marvel. They're promoting Krispy Kreme. They're promoting healthy eating. What's going on with that? I'm telling you, I'm having a great time with Dorian Roldan, you know, following him on LinkedIn. It's like, it's it's this exposure to a whole world I had no idea about. Thankfully, there's the, the translation element because, unfortunately, I... I don't really speak Spanish or, or much of any other languages outside of English. But um, uh, so firstly, um, AAA is involved in a promotion sort of like for healthy eating. Luchador Psycho Clown to put Smackdown on obesity with U.S. fruit. This is from thepacker.com. And I think I think it's uh, it'll be interesting to read the whole press release. Pure Pure. Pair Bureau Northwest is partnering with one of the most famous Mexican wrestlers, Luchadors, Psycho Clown, who will tout healthy, delicious pairs to his broad fan base. Psycho Clown comes from a Luchador family, son of Super Porky and brother of La Goya, growing up in the Luchador community and interacting with Lucha Libre fans his entire life. He is considered one of the best, most popular Luchadors in Mexico and one of the most well-known among kids. This partnership expands on the success of a Luchador's broader school outreach and in-store promotion campaign called Luchando por Estar Bien, Fighting for Well-Being. 
PNBW is a lead organization in a USDA grant-funded joint activity taking place in Mexico with four other food commodity groups, Washington apples, cherries, California pears, and U.S. blueberries. The program teaches kids the benefits of eating fruits in a fun, action-packed way. The 2020-2021 season marks the fourth year of the joint activity. Psycho Clown is aware of the childhood obesity problem in Mexico and will add zest to this program and validate its message to help kids follow a healthier lifestyle. And there's much more to read there. So fine, all good, great. I think, you know, uh, certainly a well-known person among uh, luchador fans and certainly uh, mainstream in Mexico. Um, The reason that I found it so uh, interesting as well was that shortly after that, uh, another Dorian Roldan posting sort of flashed across my screen, which it was um, a, um, a picture of Krispy Kreme donuts and Psycho Clown. <laughs> so I found that, you know, very, very funny that like the two sort of like came together. Of course, with moderate eating, you can certainly benefit from both. I'm I'm not very good as a moderate eater, so you sort of like have to hide the donuts from me. But um, they're actually doing this for a very good and important cause. Uh, Krispy Kreme has planned a week full of recognitions and donations to all those who bring joy in these complex times. And to start the week, um, a glazed donut will be, it translated as $99, but I'm assuming, you know, much cheaper than that throughout the week. Take advantage of this week's promotion of joy so that Krispy Kreme can continue with donations throughout 2021. So apparently in Mexico, Krispy Kreme is sort of donating to support first responders or teachers or whomever it may be. And AAA is involved in this promotion with uh, a couple of different wrestlers, including Psycho Clown, in the um, in the advertisement. So I think it just goes to show again sort of like how much AAA, Lucha Libre AAA resonates in the Mexican culture and, you know, how they could cover the gamut from healthy eating to Krispy Kremes. They're always up to something, AAA. We always kind of talk about them one way or another as far as Dorian and kind of what he's doing and hiring, you know, executives from New York City and trying to do this, try to do that. And obviously the Marvel team up is great as well. So AAA is always trying new things for sure. I think uh, Dorian is going to be very curious why he's getting all these new followers on LinkedIn. <laughs> Whereas he might have been on there for years, no one's following him. And now suddenly, like every day, his uh, LinkedIn Twitter account is like uh, his LinkedIn follower account is going up for no apparent reason. Hey, he uh, he will definitely be growing in uh, popularity, I hope. I hope due to this. So um, I, I love AAA. I want to see them succeed even more. Um, what about WB Latin market? Are they going to be doing some Spanish pay-per-views? I mean, what's going on with WB in the Latin market? So I, I think the um, I think there's been a Spanish feed for the pay-per-view consistently for a long time. But again, Andrew Levine, VP of International and Platform Strategy at WWE, if you forgot from five minutes ago, um, he had um, wrote on LinkedIn that La Previa, our full-length Spanish WWE pay-per-view preview show will return for the first time in 2021 on Sunday with something new in store. That was the Sunday of the Royal Rumble. So I don't know what was new that was in store, but it just goes to show the importance of 
um, branding and, and targeting a variety of audiences, especially um, different cultures or different language speakers, so that um, you know you don't miss out on that. So not only having um, you know something like Spanish language available for the pay-per-view, but if you are trying to sell a pay-per-view to Spanish language speakers and the preview show you think is something that would be helpful, so to have a uh, a preview show regularly that is in Spanish. As far as you know, the WWE network is concerned, just had a question with Peacock. Dave Meltzer had reported this week that there was an issue with it that you can't, when you have like a live event or a live sport, it can't play from the beginning. So let's just say, you know, Royal Rumble, you're, you're, you tune in late, it's eight o'clock. Oh, I want to start from seven o'clock when the actual pay per view started Eastern time. He was saying that there was an issue with Peacock. Are you aware of this? And is this fixable? Or is, it, or is this something that we're going to have to get used to if we're late for a pay-per-view? We're just basically, we're going to miss an hour. We're going to have to start at 8, eight o'clock or wherever we're starting from and watch it from there. No, right. It's a great point. Um, that's that's what I've heard as well. I haven't previewed Peacock or any of their sort of linear or, or programming as they stream it. Um, but um that seems to be like with Premier League that you can't pause it or rewind it. You sort of have to watch it till its conclusion or, or sort of come back from the beginning once once it's archived. So that would be something people would have to get used to. But I've always found that, you know, I've had WWE Network on and off when it was a really popular pay-per-view, like a major show, certainly WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam. And I try and go backwards or like, you know, pause it and then continue, it would, it would um, sort of uh, buffer a lot or there would be problems. So it wasn't the smoothest experience for me, like, you know, trying to put the kids to sleep and be like, okay, let me catch up on, on the Royal Rumble now. And then like when I tried to start in the beginning, it, it was always difficult. It's one of those things where it's like, if that really is the case, let's just say uh, for um, Premier League soccer or whatever's on there, NBC or Peacock, you got to be aware, like somebody's going to want to watch the game. I mean, not just somebody, millions of people might want to watch the game, but might miss it by the first couple minutes. Oh, I want to catch up. You know what I mean? And, and rewind it and go back. So you can't just have it be um, you basically it, it you start and that's where you play. I mean, you got to be better than that. Yeah, I think it's sort of it might be um, a sponsorship um, issue because, you know, as we know, Peacock will be, um, you know, less expensive than, you know, half the price of WWE Network. So one of the ways they might be making up for that besides trying to grow quickly is, um, you know, NBC Universal, right? They're, they have a super robust ad sales team. So if they're promising um, uh, football league sponsors or WWE sponsors that, um, people will see in-game ads. They might want to avoid your ability to kind of skip over that and, and not watch in a linear fashion. Now, as far as this week, I think this has been a power-packed edition of the show. So I want to get to the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out my website, tmptempire.com. Lavi, what do you got? Sure. Follow me on Twitter, LaViemarg, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. Follow, uh, check out my website, lioncubjobsearch.com. You can check out my books on any Amazon platform. 
And what do you got in store for us as far as next week? Sure. So we're going to have to see what news unfolds. Um, let's see if there's some uh, New Japan um, television news. Uh, Dave Meltzer, as aforementioned, um, he had been um, sort of talking down the deal. I'm saying that it won't be a game changer. So curious to see what platform um, New Japan lands on. MLW had been talking TV. I don't think anything will will break anytime soon. But as we see some, uh, you know, a lot of news that comes down the pike and we'll be sharing it with you. Um, proud to have uh, Brandon Thurston of, of WrestleNomics in a couple of weeks talking about his new report. Um, so uh, you should definitely check out the WrestleNomics 2020 uh, report that dropped uh, recently. Um and uh, we'll have some uh, industry people on in the future. I think uh, being superstitious, we should hold off on, on saying any names till we have you know, those things uh, recorded, but that's something at least uh, I'd say once a month to um, get on a special guest like that. So we could sort of keep our own flow, but also be in touch with the movers and shakers of the industry. Yes, definitely. And uh, I've done so many interviews, I never say you know, unless they're in the can, you know what I mean? So let's, we won't, we won't say who it is, but yeah, there's definitely some very interesting executives uh, on the table, so to speak, uh, to, uh, to come on the show. And just another little think question for you, just to sit there and think about for next week. So you're watching the Royal Rumble, you're watching WWE Network, the commercials that they used on there got a little bit more advanced, a little bit better, a little bit more higher quality as far as who was being um, an advertiser. And I'm not talking about Snickers because they've used Snickers millions of times, but Chevy and DraftKings, just uh, something to think about. Maybe, uh, Lavi, I don't know if you want to uh, do some homework for next week and see if that's an NBC thing or a WB thing, but getting a car company, that's pretty big for them. And obviously DraftKings is, is huge as well. And you know there's WB betting odds and things out there. So just something to think about for next week that I found very, very interesting as I was watching the Royal Rumble. Awesome. Looking forward to uh, chewing on that and talking about it next week. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. And we'll see you right back here next week on the business of the business. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies brother.